Our reading is Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples he rebuked Peter. Get behind me Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, and take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Christine, thank you very much. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come to you now looking at your word and we just ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts that we may see you afresh. See you for who you are and acknowledge you as part of our lives. In your name. Amen. So we do come to this fulcrum in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. where we see how uh, Jesus explains who he is, and then at this point we get the the tipping point into the latter half of the Gospel, uh, where we begin to, or what unfolds is what Jesus came to do. So we have those two parts, and the miracles and whatever are the sort of cream in the middle of the cake. So this is an important chapter. Now, I don't know about you, <clears throat> when you go on a long journey in the car, uh, you've probably got the, the radio on, and it could be a radio presenter, and you, you've got images of what they look like in your head, or it could be one of those audio books, which I think are fantastic for long journeys. Uh, and in your head, you know how high they are, or what colour their hair is, or whether they wear glasses, and then you see their picture, and they're nothing like it. And it sort of ruins the whole imagination. But radio is wonderful like that, that it draws you in. And you make this image in your own mind. It is actually, it's a bit of a fact of life, isn't it, that we make judgments about people. 
uh, that we hear about. I mean, I could ask you at the moment, what's your impression of Boris Johnson? I could ask the same question about Keir Starmer or Dominic Cummings or any celebrity you wish for. We see this public persona. We hear about them. A lot of it is probably spin. It's what we're supposed to hear about them. But what is our image? What is the impression that we are given? What's their identity to us? Jesus, in this passage, asks a fundamental question. Who am I? And of course, when you spend time with someone, it could be uh, days, weeks, or after months, you really have seen them warts and all. You get a pretty good understanding of who they are. And of course, there are several ways of answering that question. Who am I? I mean, the easy answer is you're Jesus. That's simple. That's your name. But then, really, is that who I am? Well, no, you're the Nazarene. Yes. Is that who I am? You know, you're the teacher. You're the prophet. You're the miracle worker. You're the rebel. Is that what defines me? I think Jesus here is going deeper and deeper still. He's asking us, do you know who I am deep down, what I stand for? What do I mean to you? And it's probably no uh, surprise that he asks this question outside the town of, or city of Caesarea Philippi, where, a bit like Ephesus, they worshipped many gods, mostly Greek, and it was the centre of the Greco-Roman worship of the god Pan, that you probably have heard of, which was multifaceted uh, in themselves. And Jesus wants to get them and us to an understanding of the belief. What belief do you have in me? What is your faith in me? Who am I to you? And he starts by asking, who do people say I am? And some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. So again, we've already got this illusion of other people. He's being known, Jesus being known by others because that's what he looks like. Okay, well let's cut through that. What about you? Who do you say I am? And that is the question that we have to answer this morning. Peter responds, of course, by saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. A title which, interestingly, of course, Jesus doesn't refute. He doesn't deny. He doesn't change. He just accepts it. But then from that point of acceptance, he goes a little bit deeper, saying, you've called me the Messiah. Do you really know what the Messiah is? And we know he asked Peter to stand back because your understanding of the Messiah is incorrect. You think I'm here to fulfill a title, to take over charge, to get you out of slavery as has happened many, many times through the biblical history. But that's not why I'm here. Jesus tells them that the Son of Man has to suffer at the hands of the elders 
the chief priests, the teachers of the law, then be killed and after three days to rise again. What is that if it's not a prophecy? He knew what was to come. And verse 32 says that he speaks quite plainly and it, it is as though he's just telling them as a matter of fact. This is Jesus being prophetic about his own ministry and his own death. But not surprisingly, as we've said, it's not what they wanted to hear. Jesus is saying, do you not realize the Messiah has come to be beaten, to be tortured, to be killed, to be overcome by the world, and yet at the same time to be acknowledged and accepted by God. And that's a really odd concept. But I came close to understanding it this week when I was filling in my tax return. Mark, where were you when I needed you? Or Nick, for that matter. We've got all accountants this morning. You see, tax return, when you filled it in, you get to the bottom and there's a little box which says, to pay. That's not a good box, is it? But there is a sum to pay. I am in debt to somebody else. Now, I have two choices. One, I pay it. Two, actually there's three choices, aren't there? You pay it for me. (laughs) I've just thought of that one. I'll let you know how much you owe me afterwards. The third one, of course, is the other person says, well, don't worry about it, we'll take it. But it's the same if we are in, in an emotional sense, if we're in an argument. Someone has to pay. Now, is that the person who is agitated who has to apologise? Or is that the person that is being impacted who has to say, it's okay, I'll accept your hurt. I'm hurt, but that's okay. I'll accept. The pain lies somewhere. It's just a question of where that pain will land. And Jesus here is saying, if you want to enter a relationship with God, you need to be good and pure. And at the moment you're impure. I can see your life. And the Messiah has come to suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, the teachers of the law, to be killed and to rise again after three days. That the grime of our life may be washed away. Peter, I suspect speaking on behalf of all the other disciples, is still scratching his head. This can't be right. Jesus didn't come to take power, He came to lay his power down. Jesus came not to rule over others, but to serve them. He came not to show them, uh, to, to show that to gain you have to first give. That he didn't come to mete out divine retribution. He was there to suffer divine retribution. He didn't come for a chance of dying. He came in order to die. Have you noticed that when... Christine was reading it, verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer. 
and it goes on, he must be killed and after three days be rise again. This isn't an alternative. This isn't an optional extra. This is the purpose of the Messiah. So if the disciples looked at Jesus and saw the wrong characteristics, the wrong person, the wrong identity, what about us? What about me? How do you, how do you see me this morning? Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, neat, thank you. I like that. Vicar? Dubious? Surveyor? Was? Rugby player? Very long time ago. Was? Artist? Not for even longer. Saxophone player? Not for even, even longer. Am I a father? What am I? Deep down, what am I? How do you know me? I was reading some uh, fine words from Tim Keller in the week. I like Tim Keller. He writes this, Jesus says, I don't want you to simply shift from one performance-based identity to another. I want you to find a whole new way. I want you to lose the old self, the old identity, and base yourself and your identity on me and the gospel. He's reminding us not to be abstract about this. You can't say, I just build my identity on my parents' approval, because that sort of comes and goes. I can't build my life on my career success. I can't build my life on romance. Instead, I'll build it on God. If that's as far as you take it, God is almost an abstract and you're building your life on him is just an act of your will. This is not about your will. No one has ever been deeply changed by an act of the will. The only thing that can reforge and change a life at its root is love. Jesus is saying, it's not enough just to know me as a teacher or as an abstract principle. You have to look at my life. I went to the cross And on the cross I lost my identity so that you can have one. Once you see the Son of God loving you like that, once you are moved by that viscerally and existentially, you begin to get a strength, an assurance, a sense of your own value and distinctiveness that is not based on what you're doing or whether somebody loves you, whether you've lost weight or how much money you've got, you're free. Your old approach to identity is gone. Your identity is in God. Where is our identity this morning? Do we rely on what we do, how we are, or what God is? And again in verse 34, Jesus says, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. Again, it's not an optional extra. Believing in Christ comes at a cost. So I have to ask myself, do I want to be known as the surveyor? Do I want to be known as the vicar? Or do I want to be known as the person who believes and behaves as the person of God? 
This is a new identity. It's giving ourselves to Christ. Following, serving, walking in that new identity. It is becoming something else. The nearest illustration I could get is when we eat something. That food is digested and it empowers us and it brings us new life. We become that food, really, and that drink. And we have to keep eating, we have to keep drinking in order to be alive and well. And if we want our, if we want our identity to be in Christ, we have to keep coming to God. And the more we come to God, the more we look at Christ, the more like Christ we will become. And our identity is then wrapped up in Christ. That's carrying the cross. That's being marked out as the person of God. We live differently and we become different. So the turning point in this Gospel is the message of the Messiah on the route to the cross. Fascinating, isn't it, to see that Jesus speaks here about carrying your cross. So long before he equally was to be tied to the cross. Tied in a figurative sense. Jesus forever associated with death on a cross. Our Messiah, God of the world, nailed to a cross. So the question this passage leaves us is whether we want to be associated with that image. Do we want to walk in the identity and the image of God to put aside our own self and to follow Christ, to forge a new identity? I don't know if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis. Um, I like a lot of his writings when I can understand it. Uh, Mere Christianity is a great book and I wanted to finish with something that he wrote. C.S. Lewis writes this, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death the death of your ambitions and favourite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fibre of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you've not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we want to look to you We want to be lost in you. We want to be made new in you. We want new purpose, new hope, new life, new perspective in you. So Lord, as we make ourselves vulnerable this morning, search our hearts and make us clean, O God. For your sake we pray.
Amen.